0: I had started, started a series last week. Uh, can you all put that up for me? Thank you very much. Thank you. On the Sermon of the, on the Mountain, if you remember, we, I, I kind of labeled it jaywalking. Not in a negative sense, in a positive sense. Walking with Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And I just gave a brief introduction um, to, la- to, to what I'm going into. And church, I'm going to do it again today. I'm going to give you another overview of what we're going to be facing because it's time to make a commitment. It's time to commit to the Lord. It's time to commit to His Word. It's time to commit to the church. It's time to commit to your wife. It's time to to commit to your husband. It's time to commit. God wants you to commit. So we're going to go back over this just kind of very, very briefly. um, Go over chapters 5, 6, and 7 so you can get an idea of where we're going because Uh, Jesus doesn't ask the impossible, but he does ask us to do something. He didn't just preach just to preach. He preached so that you would know what the truth is, so that you would know what's right from wrong. Now, knowing what's right from wrong is one thing, and then walking it out is another thing. And Jesus didn't just want you to know. He wanted you to walk it. And he didn't just want you to walk it. He walked it. And he didn't just walk it. He walked it for us. So that we might be successful in our walk with Him. Alright, so are you ready? Alright. Sermon on the Mount. Kind of a road map of where we're going. And what's important is that we know what God wants in terms of His interaction with His people. How does He want to interact with us? What is the lifestyle that God is looking for? What is the character development that He's aiming at? Because you know what? I don't want to be aiming at a target that He's not aiming at. What's His target? That's really all that matters. What's his target, and let's go after that. Not try to get God to get onto our target. That's religion. Religion's good as long as it's still on God's target. When it comes onto man's target, it's when it gets messed up. All right. And we saw last week that the high point I believe that Jesus is after is that we would make our walk, that we would attempt to walk in perfect obedience. Do you remember this scripture? Matthew 5, 48. Again, if you remember the Sermon on the Mounts chapters 5 through 7. Did anybody kind of start reading over that this week? A couple of you did. Get in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 over the next few months. Take some time and read over it. If you do, you're going to be on the same page I'm on. Isn't that important? Wouldn't it be good if you could come a little bit prepared? Amen. Be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, that sounds, again, a bit overwhelming and unreachable. But he uses the word perfect here in a relative term. I believe that he's asking us to walk in the light that he has given you. Just be able to walk in the light that he's given you. His grace is sufficient for your next step. He gives us enough light for our next step. That's all we have to worry about is walking in that light as He is in the light. God works, walks in His light. He's all light. He knows everything from the end, the beginning to the end. But He asks us to walk in the light as He is in the light. Just walk in the light that's been provided you. That's all we need to worry about is our next step. That's it. I don't need to worry about my 50th step. I need to worry about my next step. My 50th step will come. If The only way I can get to the right 50th step is if I take the right first step. God says, walk in the light as you are in the light. What's so great about this scripture is the new believer can do it from the very beginning. What's funny is that new believer may not have much light, but he has just enough light to step into the next, the next step of light. What do you mean? To be able to start to walk out what God has shown us to do. So obeying with all my heart. How do we do that? Jesus, how do we do that? Right here we see that he goes right in, in chapter 5, into what's called the Beatitudes. And I don't want to take it for granted that you you do or you don't know what the Beatitudes are. These are in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 through 12. And guys, these are virtues and they're character traits, but they're more than that. They're virtues and character traits that are to lead us into behavior changes. They're not just something good to do. It's not just a bumper sticker. To be able to say, man, that was a good statement. I'll just use that. No, it was virtues and character traits to help change us. For us to absorb and to see this is the right direction. That lead to behavior. And if you remember from last week, I I think of these eight Beatitudes as eight flowers in our garden. The Lord wants all these eight flowers to grow. These beautiful flowers to come into full maturity. He doesn't just want you to be great at one of these Beatitudes. At all of them. But the good news is, is that when God gives a command, he always gives us a promise of the enabling to obey the command. God doesn't just set out a rule. He gives us the power or the enablement to be successful in that rule. It's like if, if, a, if a construction guy said, go and, go and put some nails in, the, in this board over here that, that uh, foreman would give him the tools to be successful in that. Not just that, show him exactly how to do it and how not to do it and how not to get hurt and how to do it successfully every single time. It wouldn't be like me going to you and saying, I need you to go dig a ditch and not give you a shovel. Good luck. What do you do? That's not how God is. God equips us or he enables us, he empowers us to be successful in what he asks us to do. Now, I've got to get back on track. I'm already kind of Getting out there. But realize, these beatitudes are not out of your reach. That is a lie from the pit of hell to try to talk you out of walking this thing out with God. It is not out of your reach. The only way it would be out of your reach is if you haven't given your heart to Jesus yet. Then yes, it's out of your reach. If you've made a commitment to Jesus Christ, you have confessed with your mouth that He is Lord and Savior of your life, you have the ability to walk this out. Somebody else say amen. Amen. So what are the eight beatitudes? Real quickly. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now we're going to go into these. I'm just going to go very quickly over these uh, three chapters. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be fulfilled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Before you check out on me, this is Jesus' teaching. This is teaching from the Son of God. Don't check out. So now, just as we briefly look over these, you may say, man, that's overwhelming. Yes, I, I agree, some of these look almost impossible but we can now say, okay, Lord, we kind of know where we're going. We know what you're looking for. Now, how do we do it? How do we walk in these? How do we fully understand and walk out what it is that you've called us to do? And in a moment, we're going to see where Jesus identified six temptations that he wants us to resist and how he gives us five kingdom activities of what we're supposed to pursue. So what do you see here? A pursuing and are resisting. If you were here Wednesday night, you heard about pursuing holiness, pursuing peace. God wants you in hot pursuit. In hot pursuit after Him. Some camps of the body of Christ like to kind of dwell on the negatives. What are the negatives? What are the things we need to resist? Other people from the, from the body of Christ sometimes just dwell on the positives. Well, I'm not going to worry about the negatives. I'm just going to dwell on the positives. Well, Jesus, as he teaches, says don't do that. Do it all. We don't just need to get out the negative. We need to pursue the positive. Some people that just clean up the negative, you know what that is? It's trying to, trying to get to heaven by works. You can't get to heaven by just being a good person. It will not work. You cannot earn your way. Pursuing and resisting. And when we go back to this analogy of the garden, I'll I'll just call it watering and weeding. These eight flowers in this analogy are the Beatitudes. For the flower to grow in a proper way, we've got to weed the garden. We've got to remove the hindrances, but we've got to water the garden too and add the nutrients. So there's a removing of the negative. These six temptations we're going to briefly look at and pulling out the weeds. And then there's the adding of the nutrients, these five kingdom activities. Now, right here at the end of the Beatitudes, look what it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. My goal, again, with this teaching of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5-7 through is to make disciples. Is to recognize what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ. For us to gain that knowledge and not just gain the knowledge, but gain the power, gain the enabling from the Spirit of God and start walking this out. Because I want you to notice, have you ever noticed that when people sometimes talk about salt and light, they start with this verse? Well, I don't want to say necessarily it's wrong, but I believe you're leaving it out of context because Jesus has just spoke about the eight Beatitudes. So many times it's easy for us to just say, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm blessed in the city and blessed in the country, but we leave out the key verse. If we'll get the key verse, all the blessed comes. What's the key verse? If my people will hear my word and obey it, then you're the head and not the tail. You're not just the head and not the tail just because you said it. Wouldn't that be nice? I got a 10 million dollars in my bank account. Oh, I don't. But I said it. But it's not there. But I said it. Nope, there's something I got to walk out. I can say I'm a Christian, but if I'm not following Christ, I'm not a Christian. Somebody wake up. We've got a a Christian is a Christ follower. That's what we're after, following Christ. Church on the Hill, we are going to be a church that follows Christ. All right, salt and light. How significant it is that salt and light follows the Beatitudes. There's no effective changing of the world apart from people who are pursuing. God's Word. There's no way to become salt and light unless you are a person that is pursuing and doing God's Word. Then you're salt and light, because what is salt? You know what salt does? It makes people thirsty for Jesus. How do you make people thirsty for Jesus? You genuinely follow Christ and do what He did. People were thirsty for Him. They came looking for Him. Is anybody looking for you? Or are they running from you? Salt. It makes food taste better. Do you taste better or worse? It creates thirst. And when we live out these eight beatitudes, when we leave out the, the Sermon of the Mount, people become thirsty and hunger for God. You begin to taste better to them in their palate, their spiritual palate. When they see the truth, through people who are salt. But you know what? Salt is also a preservative. It stops the encroaching decay of a sinful world. You know how to put a stop to sin? Follow Christ. Church, we can change the world. We, church on the hill, can change the world. But you know what? We're more than salt. We're light. What is light? It gives direction in a dark world of how to please God. And to give direction on what will last forever. And what I mean is what is meaningful and true. The truth about God. But you know what? Light just does not show the way. It's critical to the life process. For something to grow, it has to have light. It enhances life. It causes growth. But the point I want to stress is that it's people walking in these eight beatitudes that are salt and light. It's not just by virtue of being born again, but by being born again and trying to walk out biblical Christianity that makes you salt and light. You catch that? We're not just salt and light. When we begin to walk out God's word, do we become salt? Do we become light? We don't just get to say, well, I'm saved, I was saved at five, I've made no change ever since, and I'm salt and light. No, you're not. Go back to Matthew chapter 5 and see what the requirements of those that are salt and light. Do you want to be salt and light? Okay, go back to Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. Jesus gives us the direction. So what are, the, what are these six temptations? How do, we, how do we live this out? How do we do the watering and the weeding that we're going to be going over the next few weeks? The six temptations. And of these six temptations, it's not just, it's not, I'm not just going to give one phrase and that's all it is. Like, for instance, anger. Anger could begin with a critical spirit. Or maybe a bad attitude. But you go 25 steps into anger, it can lead to murder. But Jesus says, that's anger. We've got to realize that anger is pretty broad. So let's look at number one, the temptations. And you don't have to write these down. You can if you want, but we're going to be going into these. Number one, resist anger. Number two, resist adultery. Or what we're going to go into a little bit deeper is the spirit of immorality. Number three, I don't know what's up with that firing. I just need to stop using that. Resist disregarding sanctity of marriage. Now, again, these look like they're all within this marriage covenant, but what I mean is to, uh, the temptation to disregard the sanctity of marriage or to be loyal in all of our relationships, even outside of marriage, but especially in marriage. It's this virtue of loyalty in a relationship beginning with the marriage covenant. When times are good or bad, not disregarding what God's covenant is. So many times we let circumstance get in our way and we completely disregard what God said. Sometimes if we can stop for a moment and think about what God said, we might get a different approach in how to bring healing into that relationship. Now, don't don't check out on me. So many times we allow our flesh and circumstances to break relationship, and God is saying, wait a minute, I will help you in that relationship. There is a way to save this relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's in the church, whether it's a marriage. God didn't create marriage so we would just fail at it. He created marriage for us to stay married and to have a godly relationship. Next, resist the temptation of making false commitments. You know what Jesus said? Let your yes be yes. And don't oversell yourself. Sometimes, you know, you run into somebody who says, man, I'm committed to this and that. You know, you say, man, that's awesome. You're doing great. But then about three months later, they're gone. Jesus said resist that because it's falsehood. Live in the truth concerning your words about what you say. Number five. Resist the temptation of retaliation. Man, that's a big one. And that's not the hardest one, I don't think. I think number six is one of the hardest. Being inactive when we're mistreated. Now, I don't mean completely inactive. I mean inactive by the world standard. One of the most challenging things, I believe, in Scripture is the Scripture in Matthew 5, that says, Bless your enemies. Love them. Bless them and pray for those who spitefully use you. Now, church, this is Jesus' teaching. Were there those in his walk that spitefully used him? Yes. And on the cross was he still praying for them. Now, we can get to a certain place in our walk with God where we do not fight them back, we do not respond with, it, with insult. For insult, with insult. We don't attack when we're attacked. How many of us, and I am one of them, that when somebody's critical of you, you figure out what's critical in them and you just fire right back? Justin said, you picked your nose when you were, you were giving your sermon. Well, I saw you pick yours and eat yours. <laughs> don't come to me with a word like that. I, I got the goods on you. And you know what happens? You miss an opportunity to grow. Now maybe Justin could have said it nicer. <laughs> but it doesn't say anything about the way that the, the way that another approaches you. It says you're responsible for the way that you act. And when, he, when when someone comes with a critical with a with a corrective word, with a good heart, if you don't listen to it, if you reject it, you're a fool. You're not gonna grow. And church, I want to tell you, I don't care what age you are. I don't care where you are in your walk with Christ. It may be a 40-year, spirit-filled, doing everything right walk. You still have room to grow. God is all-knowing, not you. God's ways are higher than our ways. So we need to accept the fact that we can grow being inactive when mistreated. All right, if we can pull these weeds out. These, these flowers will grow. Now, maybe you'd say, okay, Pastor, I don't know exactly where you're going, but I'm with you so far. I'm going to do it. I actually want to see God in every area in my life, for real. With my time, with my money, with my words, I want to do this. Church, if that's the case, let me tell you, the light is going to go on in you, and there's going to be a shift in you. It's going to give you a different mindset. You're going to read things differently. You're going to speak differently. You'll have a different preoccupation on the inside, even though you loved God before. I'm not saying you don't love God. I'm just saying we've got, still got a long way to go. And church, let's go. So it's not enough just to resist the negative. We've got to pursue the positive. Do you remember what the positives were? I gave them to you last week. It's serving. It's giving money. It's praying. It's blessing our adversaries. And it's fasting. Mm, fasting. Now, say it again, Rob. Fasting will do it. He is a, an example of that. I will also say every single time without question that I've fasted, I've gotten an answer. Every time. Is God faithful to His Word? Yes. When we obey His Word, He responds. I'm going to show you that. That's part of my sermon this morning. If we look at one of the first ones about serving, it talks about a charitable deed. We're going to see this in Matthew 6. We've now gone into Matthew 6. But a charitable deed has two dimensions to it. It's not just you serving the poor. It's not just your action. You know, a charitable deed sometimes can be an action, and it certainly does include that. Sometimes we go out to Avery Trace. Sometimes we deliver food. Sometimes we do things. I know the men's group have gone to the widows of the church and done repairs. That's a charitable deed, but it's also in the giving of your money. Verse 17, chapter 6, verse 17 says, When you fast... It doesn't say if you fast. It says when you fast. So what does that mean? How, how often should I fast? What does fasting mean? You know, I think in every season of our life, it can be different. There are times when I fast more. There are times when I fast less. But church fasting is a lifestyle of the New Testament Christian. It is a part, it is the same as us putting gas in our car. And let me tell you, we don't even have to do that. We could walk. It's the same as eating. It's the same as sleeping. It is supposed to be a part of our walk. Just like you pray, hopefully every morning or read your Bible, fasting is to be a part of our lifestyle. You know, fasting doesn't earn us anything, but do you know what it does do? It puts us into position to receive what God has freely given. That's why we do this. This whole walk with the eight Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount is to position us so that we can receive God's blessing. Verse 20, he goes back to the issue of money about treasures in heaven and says that if you will invest your physical money into the kingdom, you will receive a return of that investment here on earth and in the age to come. Again, Jesus was not presenting the sermon on the mount with the spirit these spiritual disciplines suggesting that we could earn God's love. God loved us before we loved him. God loved us while we hated him. God loved us while we were in sin. This is not some way to say this is the only way you can earn God's love. No, Jesus would say God is love. He is love. It's who he is. But it's a way to, you know what it, you know what this is doing? Let me see if I can paint a picture for you because it's kind of cool outside. We had a Awakening. We had this Harvest Festival this last week and we needed a bonfire. We do bonfires every now and then, but we didn't have a bonfire. We had already burned all our wood. We needed more wood and we couldn't get it quick enough to, to pull it off, but we needed a bonfire. But I believe Jesus gives us the Sermon on the Mount to help position us next to God's bonfire, to warm our heart, to warm our spirit. Now I want to tell you, the power is not in us positioning ourselves in front of the fire. The power is the fire. We can go through all the motions, we can say the things, but if we do not put ourselves in front of that fire, we are not going to warm up. Have you got a hard heart? Have you got things that you can't hardly get by? You know what? You need to lay those things aside and get into God's bonfire for just a minute. Let Him cook you just a little bit. Have you ever gotten up next to a bonfire and you just start cooking? You start shedding off layers. Man, It's good. But Holy Spirit, do that in us. Change our minds and our hearts. But I want to tell you, as we start to step into this, and as you start to make a commitment to this, resist doing it with the wrong spirit. Have you ever done something for your wife with the wrong spirit? Have you ever done something for your wife with the right spirit? I think I could probably list the things with the right spirit easier than I could list the things with the wrong spirit. I hate doing the trash. I hate the trash. I hate it. But you know what? If the trash doesn't get taken out, it's going to get stinky. And she does a hundred things to my one. And I don't want to do the one. Why do I got to do the trash? I need to get, we need to get the trash out. Sometimes we try to get the rats out of the house without getting the trash. Get the trash out and the rats will go. You're know, you dealing with sin and you're trying to fight off these these externals. No, deal with the sin. You get rid of the sin, these externals will go. Put some some privacy things on your phone and on your your computer or get rid of your computer so that you're not looking at these images anymore. Get rid of the sin. The things that go along with that sin will go when you get rid of the sin. Amen. Reject doing it with, a, with the wrong spirit. Elizabeth one time asked me to give uh, our child a bath. I've given the story before, but she was uh, eight or nine months pregnant, uh, seven or eight months pregnant with Pete when Rita, when Rita Marie was little, and she was literally having to go up the stairs, laboring up the stairs to take her child to, the, to, to take a bath. Well, I didn't want to give my child a bath. My dad didn't give me a bath. Well, her dad did give. Her baths. Well, that's even more reason for me not to give him a bath. Her dad did it. And I'm not going to do it. I'm not her dad, and I'm more like my dad. I'm just not going to do it. I don't want to do it. So, I'm um, going to go up those stairs. She's not even being mean to me. I wish she'd be mean to me. Then I'd have an excuse not to do it. She's not being mean to me. She's just going to go do it. Okay, I'm going to do it. But I'm not going to like it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, okay, I'll give him a bath. Okay. Okay, I heard you. So I give her a bath. Then I give her another bath. Then I give her another bath. Then God ch- turns my heart. Now I can't wait. Now I cry when I give her a last one because it's precious. Don't do it with the wrong spirit. Do it with the right spirit. You know, so many times we throw the baby out with the bathwater, and I don't mean to even use that analogy together there, but (laughs) I have people come up to me and sometimes will say, look, I'm done. I'm done trying to to fast and pray to earn God's love. I'm done doing it for, for the reason of trying to get God's love. And you know what? I'd respond with, that's great. I agree with that. But the problem is, what they mean is, I'm done fasting and praying. No, 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 no. What you need to be done with is the wrong, the wrong spirit, the wrong attitude. Now, he gives us those things to resist, those things to, um, to pursue, and then he gives us a, a very big main point, a third principle, and it is knowing the truth. And I want to use the word for truth of confidence. We resist the negative, we pursue the positive, and we know the truth about God and about the truth about how He views us. That gives us confidence because if we don't have confidence, if we don't know what God is like and how He views us, then when we start resisting these things and pursuing these things, we do them with a spirit of guilt. Or a spirit of condemnation because we think we're not good enough. We're not, but we don't realize how God sees us. And you know what what else we start doing it in? We start doing it in a spirit of fear. And we end up with the wrong spirit. Trying to water and weed the garden, but without confidence that even in our weakness, God enjoys us. Even in our weakness, God loves us. He's looking at us. He's attentive to us. He's responding to us. Know the truth. You know, the book of Hebrews was written for a bunch of uh, struggling believers under persecution. And the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, without faith. Another way to phrase that is without confidence. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Church, this was written to persecuted believers that the Hebrew writer is trying to bring encouragement. When you approach him in your prayer life and in your everyday life in God, here's what you've got to do. You've got to believe two things. Number one, that he is. The Lord said, I am that I am. You've got to to grasp this phrase, that he is. And I'm going to go into a little bit of detail this morning about that. But that he is also a rewarder. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. What it means on the word he is, is to a believer, to believe that in present tense that he is going to intervene in our lives and that he is attentive to us, that he is listening, that he is attentive to your life. Church, God is interested in you. But you've got to believe that. You've got to believe that. But do you know what else he is? We see here in Hebrews eleven six 6, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not only is he attentive and he intervenes, but he remembers and he rewards. You know, the subject of rewarding was taught more by Jesus than by any other man in the Bible. God is a rewar- does reward diligence. Diligence doesn't make God love us. He loved us when we hated him. However, when we respond in diligence, he responds with rewards. Why am I saying this? I'm going to try to wrap things up. I need to, I need to wrap things up here. Is because Jesus is teaching us how to wholeheartedly pursue him with everything. But he wants us to have confidence in him, especially in our finances and our possessions. Because you know why? That's where we have the most fear. That's where a stronghold of fear moves in in as it's related to finances and possession. Because we can't progress in these eight beatitudes in an optimum way when we have a stronghold of fear in our life. Do you know what Jesus is calling us out of? He is calling us out of the slavery of the fear of not having enough. Do you know that's what most people are battling? The fear of not having enough. He gives us this encouragement that if we do these things, if we make this vision to teach and obey these eight beatitudes, he calls up part of our hearts like our eye, the eye of your heart, that you'll have a vibrant spirit, that you'll be full of life, that if you'll stick with this not for a summer, not for a season, not for a year, but make this a primary vision of your life in your whole heart in a consistent way. He says you will be full of light. With a vibrant spirit. Now, as I close with this, I'm going to end with two, two things that's going to come at us. You know what, the number one thing that can stop us from being successful in walking out the Sermon on the Mount, in my opinion, is a critical spirit in us, not in someone else. Listen, let me tell you, you don't have impact on my walk with Christ. That's between me and God. You can try to have impact. But Jesus Christ dying on the cross for my sins has given me the power to overcome sin. And to be an overcomer regardless of my circumstance. My salvation is not based on circumstance. But my attitude, my walk has all kinds of implications. Do y'all hear me? One of the problems we will have is being critical. And you know what? That critical spirit will put that fire out inside you. You know, we're running good. Have you ever been on fire and you're running good? You're passionate about God and then something hits you like a two by four right in the head. And we start looking at the other person and we start getting critical. You know what Jesus would say? Jesus would say, beware of looking at that other guy instead of talking to me. You know what's happened? You're not talking to me anymore. You're talking to somebody else about that brother, about what they did. The conversation's changed, and I want to be in the conversation with you, God says. And when you're being critical of your brother, I'm not in conversation with you anymore. You've changed channels. You've gone in a different direction. Get back. Talk to me. In chapter 7, verse 5, he says, pull the log out of your own eye. Talk back to me. Let me get back in the conversation again. That's when things go so good. There's so much more that, we, that we'll talk about here, but if you continue on, you know what he starts talking about? It's not just your neighbor having problems, but someone vigil- vigilantly going after you with intent to get you. And you know what the Lord says? Whatever you want men to do to you, you do to them. This is chapter 7, verse 7 through 12. This is when we're dealing with a hostile person coming after us. Look what it says right here in Matthew seven twelve. This is paraphrased. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. You know what that means? That no matter what the situation, we as salt and light, we as Christians who are trying to follow out completely obediently to God are to treat people differently we are to be the difference we are the ones that are to make food taste better not expect the other person to make it taste better we're the change agent i'm salt and light you're salt and light if i'm walking this out i have the ability to heal a relationship that didn't even sound right i've had so much trouble with the relationship but it's the truth You have the ability to heal a relationship. No relationship can come at you that you don't have the ability to heal. Now, maybe somebody on the other side will not get on board. They go the other direction. That's not your fault. Your fault, your your call is to pursue peace. Your fault is to pursue these eight beatitudes. When there's a relational tension, you know what the Lord says? Quit using your own strength and your own wit and your own finesse. Talk to me. I will help you. I will break through. See me. Yes, even seek me to understand me, God says. There are creative ways to bring redemptive goodness to this person. There are creative ways to bring a redemptive change in this person. A God-centered approach. And then as we see, look how, God, look how Jesus ends this. <laughs> because narrow is the gate. And difficult is the way. Church, I'm not going to lie to you. Difficult is the way that leads to life. I believe he's not just talking about spiritual disciplines. I believe he's talking about relationships too. How many of you have been going good and a relationship break down on you and cause you to go completely off track? Church, it's happened to me numerous times. Satan has come to kill steal and destroy and you know how he wants to do it he wants to divide he wants to bring division in marriages he wants to bring division in churches he wants to bring division in relationship so many times we get on fire for God and we're going and going and then all of a sudden this this thing happens and what do we want to do why don't they just leave me alone why don't they just leave me alone but you know what God says? The man who will stand through all this, the guy who will do all of this in chapter 5, 6, and 7, you know what? If you'll do it in your life, in your private life, under pressure the rest of your life, because you know, you know what? You've got to be proven. Your heart's got to be proven. Your love's got to be proven. We get tested so that we can be proven to make sure what's in our heart. When we do that, when we've weathered the storms, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, if you do that, I will call you wise. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, I will call you great. Now, I want God to call church on the hill great. Not for any surfacy reason, not because of numbers, not because of programs, because we have met His condition. We have met His word, and we are seeing breakthrough in our lives. People getting healed, marriage is getting mended, relationships being restored. You know what? That's what Jesus Christ came for. He came to save us, but to also let us live a life of healing and of breakthrough and of love. He'll do the external. You know what? If I line up with God, what else matters? Can I encourage you in your life? If you line up with God, God's going to work the rest of the stuff out. Now, we got to go do it. Have you ever ever been a part of a basketball team or a baseball team where you just go to the first practice and you've never played before and the coach tells you everything you're going to do? And you're like, okay, I'm on. I'm on board. I don't know what I'm doing. Don't know what position I'm playing. I don't know how I'm going to do it. But the coach said we can do it. I believe him. Let's go do it. Can we get on board? Let's stand up and let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, I just right now, Lord, declare that we are coming after you. We're coming after your word. We're coming after your desires. We're coming after your heart. And Lord, I ask you right now. I ask you right now to move in power in our hearts. Jesus, you made the first move. You sent your son Jesus to die for our sins, that we would choose you. You You've made the initial move. But, Lord, when we make the commitment to obey, you know what you say, Lord? Okay, I will reward that obedience. You are on both sides of our response. We can't take any credit for it. It's all because of you. Now, Lord, in Jesus' name, we commit our hearts to you. Are you here today and you'd say, I don't know Jesus. I need to get Jesus in my heart. If that's you, without waiting, raise your hand up. Say, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. All right, then that means everybody in here is a believer. All right, with every head bowed and every eye closed, are you ready to commit to God? Are you ready to say, I don't have it all together and I'm ready to step forward? Make a commitment right now in your heart. Right now in your heart, Lord, I'm making a commitment to get in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 to read your word, to understand your ways, and then to follow your ways. Jesus, this is your sermon. We are getting on board with you. Ask you right now, in Jesus' name, move in our hearts. Do you have a prayer? Do you have a prayer need today? I want to just open up the altar right now. I can tell this worship team is ready to worship the Lord.